Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, we finally got a sponsor, and it's a pretty kick-ass product, Marcus. Yes, it is. You want to look more like a Ted Bundy than a Ted Kaczynski this Valentine's Day? We got the perfect product for you. Yep, we got Harry's high-quality shaving products. And just for Valentine's Day, listeners of The Last Podcast on the Left are going to get a free engraving on the Chrome Winston Razor with the code LEFTVALENTINE at checkout. The Chrome Winston set includes a razor, three quality blades, and your choice of Harry's shaving cream or foaming gel, you can save $15 and get the engraved Winston set for just $25 with the code LEFTVALENTINE. I used the stuff, I loved it, and I'd recommend it to anybody. You look beautiful, Marcus. Go to harrys.com. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Type in LEFTVALENTINE. Receive $15 off your first purchase and have yourselves a horrific Valentine's Day. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Chicken balls. I wonder if there's a porno called the Boston Dangler. Um, it looks like you just made it, and you will make it. I mean, I won't watch it. If you wish it, it will be. Is that is that a no a saying? That's a secret. That's the secret is oh. if you wish it, if you think about it. Hitler taught us that lesson. No, no, an author did. The author of a less secret, which is Spanish. Hitler, for- Adolf Hitler, also called Mein Kampf. Right? Doesn't that mean? Doesn't that mean the secret yeah. in German? <laughs> mm, maybe. I don't speak the language. Mm. Oh, you don't it speak means- the German? Like you don't? You I can't do even pick up some words. Struggle. Oh, my yeah. struggle, yeah. Which is what, what uh, I will also write a book called Mind Comp, but it's me struggling with putting on my pants in the morning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Welcome to the show, everyone. That's Marcus Parks. I'm Ben Kissel, and we are joined by... What we've learned now about... The, we're back. We're doing the Boston Strangler again. That's and right. And I think the big lesson it's important to learn here is that Albert DeSalvo uh, suffered from a syndrome of wanting to be too important. All right? I think it's important for everybody to know. Yeah, you want to play football. Some people are going to be a Steve Young or a Troy Aikman or some other gay quarterback. (laughs) All right, closeted gay. (laughs) But some people are just going to be a Jerry Riggleson. 
You know who that is? I, I, you the don't third know who that is. quarterback for the Broncos from 1988 to you 1991. Will be a, a nearly anonymous person, and he couldn't feel it. So this is this is Albert DeSalvo's like uh, this is his uh, what's it? The big lie. Yeah, this is his big time. This is his uh, this is his time to be a star. It's his time to shine. It's the Boston Strangler Part Two. So we covered a little bit on the first episode how the Boston uh, Globe was covering the story at this time. Uh, of course, they were being fed a lot of facts by the medical examiner's mm-hmm. office. Uh, they were being fed a lot of facts by the police. Uh, why don't we hear from one of the intrepid reporters? <laughs> yes. Uh, What's her name? Her name is like... Loretta McLaughlin? Yeah, and she one. looks like one. Yeah. Beautiful. She, she's she a Loretta. She's Actually, Loretta that does Lynn. sound like a sexy, yeah. sexy woman. Yeah, I love the it's name the opposite. Loretta. So it's the opposite of that. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. She looks like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. yikes. All right, let's hear from Loretta. The record American is eager to connect the crimes. The biggest question of all in the beginning was, were these crimes related? And the Boston police tended to think, in fact, absolutely thought they were not. And yet it struck me as quite Uh-oh. ludicrous. What were we going to have? Three madmen loose in the city, strangling women and tying the garrots into bows. I went to Jack McLean, who was the managing editor of the Record American. And I said, why don't I look into these? And he said, oh, who cares? He said, they're nobodies. And I said, but that's just it, Jack. They're everybody. I said, they're us. She sounds like a mixture between Paula Poundstone and Greta Van Susteren. Yeah. <laughs> which also, is really kind of bizarre. But what, what is comforting, she sounds like like if you needed a casserole recipe, mm. you get her on the phone. Mm. I mean, she'll talk your ear off. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. So at this point, the cops don't know what to do. Uh, of course, the newspapers aren't any help. So, But she does bring up the point, do you think it would be in the cops' best interest not to let society think there were three maniacs on the loose and just sort of nail it down to one just to keep the hysteria down? What do you mean? So just so the lie is just an easy lie is better than a hard truth? Sometimes mm. when your kids ask you where babies are made, but they're six years old, you just tell them a stork brought it. No, I, when my kid asks me, I don't care how old he is, oh, he's stop. three or if he's 14, he'd be like, how'd you make me daddy? And I'll be like, when I did the mom, I put a goblet of wine. Anyway, we watched, we watched Breaking Bad in its entirety together. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I took an Ambien and I woke up and I guess we fucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, unborn little Henry Zabrowski, you can always call Uncle Ben Kissel uh, when your father Never is creeping you Uncle out. Ben. Whenever your father Never creeps you out. Never call your Uncle Ben. So Attorney General <laughs> Edward Brooke who was in charge of this case, he had a lot to lose. He had been elected the first black attorney general in the entire United States just a few months after the death of the Strangler's first victim before any pattern had been established. This huge case has just been dumped in this guy's lap. He's literally, he's a a historical position being the the first black attorney general. I'm stunned that Boston was that progressive. Yeah. It's also just like if you're this poor guy, you're like, it's cause I'm black, huh? Oh, you guys are going to give me the the hardest case in Boston history because I'm black? No, that's what we're doing Perfect. here. I couldn't get a series of, of jewelry thieves, and right. I can't catch them on my own with my with me and my helpful boy right. from my neighborhood, who's a super smart genius who built all these funny little devices mm. in his garage, and we solve mysteries together. It's like when <laughs> when Clinton was elected in '92. It's like, oh yeah, the world's great, the economy's down the rise, and we're not going to be at war for eight years. So you can have the office now, funny white dude. And Obama gets in there in 08. Two wars, and everything's gone to shit. Have it, black dude. See if you. 
can't work your magic. So in 19, it's 1963 at this point in our story, and the Strangler's been on the loose for almost two years now, and 1964 was an election year, so Attorney General Edward Brooke was willing to try absolutely everything. Unfortunately... He was ready to turn in himself. Yeah. <laughs> I did it. And he, yeah, he, he, he arrests himself. Number one me. Attorney General. All right, I brought you out here to the orchard just so you guys can see how well I can tie a knot around this tree. <laughs> look at okay. hey, that strangle. That's gonna, ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, look, you see how it's got a little knot like a hole here at the bottom of the tree? Yeah, stick a beer bottle Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. You're not guilty. I can't even solve my own crime that I did myself. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Brooke decided to put the investigation not in the hands of experienced criminal investigators, uh. but into the hands of one assistant attorney general, John S. Bottomley, head of the eminent domain division of the attorney general's office. So this guy, if you would put his like torso on a scale, it would be like four, 14, 15 pounds. And then if he puts his legs and his ass on it, it's like 350 pounds. Oh, yeah. This guy has some, uh, if your name is Bottomley, because right. you know, back in the day, like, you know, people, like, old names. You're a cobbler. Com- you're, you're Mike Cobbler. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Ed, uh, John, the Bottomley comes from the Bottomley family, which is from <laughs> a, a group of uh, elephant-assed people from the middle of uh, the UK somewhere. I mean, we used to play a game called Can You Knock Over the Bottomley? Never has. Navy K, because he weebles and he wobbles, but he doesn't fall down. And then he's a real fun piece of shit about it. <laughs> so John Bottomley, uh, he was placed in charge, one, because he was an old buddy of Brooke from law school, but two, because Brooke said he needed, it was a, a non-traditional case, so he, he needed a man of non-traditional methods. Now here right. is what novelist George V. Higgins, who worked for the Associated Press at the time, said. He said that he, quote, never heard a reference to Bottomley without the word asshole attaches either a suffix or a prefix. I started to think maybe it was part of the guy's name. <laughs> asshole Bottomley. It sounds like a great porn name. And Boston the police. Picture, and the Boston, picture that they use of him and this thing is him like thumbs up and a big goofy smile on the face like, hi, everybody. <laughs> Wearing a bow tie. What a jerk off. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also Boston Police Commissioner uh, Edmund McNamara said about uh, Bottomley, holy Jesus, what a nutcake. <laughs> That's so funny. So put him on the biggest case in Boston history. Yeah, uh, so uh, the idea, well actually yeah, and Bottomley said that he was cho- or they had chosen Bottomley because, because and this is a direct quote, he said because he had no experience in criminal law per se. What he, sort of, I- what theory are they basing this idea on that he might be able to solve these crimes? No, then? it's like what they do, it's like in the movie The Replacements where instead of a quarterback, like, you don't get another professional quarterback, no. you get a guy who works as a slop cook somewhere. <laughs> right. You know, he's, he's got an arm like a fucking rocket. Just <laughs> quite dumb enough to do it. Yeah, yeah. No. And you know what? That is actually a perfect uh, describe that as a perfect analogy for this situation because this bottomly guy was said to have a ton of enthusiasm. They said that he would tackle any problem that was put in forth uh, put forth in yeah, front of him. Literally, he would tackle it though. Yeah, he was a real fucking asshole. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass, 24-7. So the idea was to coordinate all of the investigations as the murders uh, that were lumped in with the Strangler now covered six separate police departments and three different district attorneys. And now we're seeing, and there's something that we've seen so many times before in serial killer mm-hmm. cases, the police were not communicating with each other. And right. in fact, the police departments were holding back, inform- deliberately holding back information from other police departments. Right. It's not the Pizza Hut 
bookworm competition where yeah, you're yeah, just yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. outread your uh, you know the people you're in class with. Yeah, you trying to figure out. Yeah, it's not the Coke secret ingredient. Right. Like you just yeah, you should share. It's about getting yeah. the guy to and stop we, killing and the rape. It was all you competitive. Know, we're talking about precincts that this is no different than Bloods and Crips fighting over ridiculously stupid streets in Compton. These are precincts miles they're they're very close to each other. They're blocks away from one another. Yeah. Just go tell the guy no. that someone was murdered in your area. Everyone wanted to be the police department to crack the case. The DAs wanted to be the district attorneys to crack the case. And right. so cuz we talk about uh we talked about in the first episode all of the subtle differences uh between the killings and that seems very obvious now. You know, myself, I would I would say I am an amateur uh researcher. Sure. You know, like, I, I'm well, not, I, no, you're I'm a not, professional researcher, well, amateur yeah. detective. <laughs> <laughs> all right, professional researcher, amateur detective. Uh, and I read all this stuff, and I put it all together just myself that all of these subtle differences really do uh, really do make up uh, a very different profile for each killer. But we mm-hmm. also have to remember, like we said last episode, that the notion of the serial killer did not exist at this time. And right. they did not look for subtleties. Like, because, again, look at the coverage of, of the whole case in the begin with. It's all about sensationalism, putting all the lurid details right up front. Mm-hmm. It's to sell newspapers. So they are not they're not looking at the why, why is it like the difference between the real compulsion that you strangle somebody so hard that blood comes out of ears and then you tie this knot to basically tell somebody fuck you to like right. someone getting stabbed to death and someone just kind of doing it obviously for appearances yeah yeah, they don't care about the pressure that the knot wasn't uh, you know putting onto the neck you yeah. know, they're not going to get into that because that's that is such that is a complicated fucking wormhole to go down about the idea of like like copycat killers and who's doing it with different motives. They're just like, we got the drooling fucking maniac. We put him in a cage. Congratulations, right. everybody. He gets reelected and it's done. Mm-hmm. So it's 1964. The attorney general is desperate and it's time for the attorney general's office to try the psychic game. Great. Enter Peter Herkos, a famous Dutch mystic who is re- reportedly responsible for the solving of 27 murders in 17 countries. In addition, <laughs> to helping Scotland Yard find the stolen Stone of Scone, a Scottish national... Which is finally... The scientists finally got a hold of the stone and it turned out to just be an old scone. (laughs) Isn't that something? (laughs) So you're a detective. You go through school. You go through years and years of training. You work the beat. And then the next thing you know, you they call up a uh, a psychic, a yeah. tiny German man like, who comes well, in and says, "Excuse me, please do not do not push me. My turban is only sitting at the very tip of my head." <laughs> right? Yeah, the cops. Hated they this must, yeah, because guy. it's like, how'd you get here? Oh, hard work and uh, a lot of long hours. How'd I you had get a here? dream about a man with a yellow umbrella. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess he's one of us now, so bring him on to the squad. So Herkos's uh, area of expertise in the paranormal was psychometry. Now, psychometry is the act of divining facts about an object or its owner by touching or being near the object. Like if, like if a blanket you have smells like bologna, you know that Ed Larson fucking had it. Ed Larson <laughs> from the hard. Round Table of Gentlemen. And the Brighter Side podcast as well. Now, Herkos' origin story was that he had originally been a house painter in Holland, but in 1943, he fell off a ladder. I was literally going to make the joke. <laughs> he fell off a ladder. That is a painter's yeah. death. <laughs> he fell off a ladder, fractured his skull, laid in a coma for three days, and when he woke up, he had psychic powers. Isn't Oof. that something? Hello, yeah. Nurse Gunkel. I'm so glad you came into the room. What are you thinking about? Versus butterscotch 
candies. Ooh, <laughs> I see it. Mm, yellow disc. Mm, man with a yellow umbrella. <laughs> so Herkos never traveled anywhere without his trusty bodyguard. And Herkos showed up in Boston with a six foot eight man in a gigantic cowboy hat, yellow cowboy boots, yellow pants, and a yellow fringed leather shirt. As Did he have I, a pet monkey? <laughs> because can we? Uh, so nowhere in this do I see the quotation marks around bodyguard. I think there should be <laughs> quotation marks well, around. He did that. carry a big gun with him everywhere he went. God, yeah. right. And as for Herkos, he was heavy set, six feet tall, curly black hair, and darting black. This eyes. is what I want to talk about in modern media. Everybody makes the psychic like this thin rail, like sexy dude. They always right. look like me. Oh. I'm the psychic. I agree. Yeah, no one will disagree with that statement, Henry. You have a psychic's body. <laughs> My so, mind is important. Uh huh. So Herkos and police officers met in a hotel downtown. One detective brought boxes containing the nylon scarves, uh, the nylon stocking scarves and blouses used on the strangler, it's the strangler's victims in one box Oof. and 300 photos of the crime scenes in the other. This one is ugly. I don't like this <laughs> one. This no. one, oh, mm, I smell fat girl on it. First one of them fat. <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> so officer removed the photos from the box, placed them carefully in stacks, laying face down on the bed. Peter bent over the photos, moved slowly. Bend, mm, please. Mm, mm, oof, mm, oof, oof. What you got? Two pumpkins sitting back there. Ooh. <laughs> I can't believe I came all the way to Germany just to see. Ooh, the two finest Bavarian hams I've seen all week. Anyways, let's get to the scar. I kind of like him around the office, to be honest, because he does point out my great ass. <laughs> he moved his right hand, palm down. In quick circles above the stack. I mean, what? Excuse me? What? He, was oh, yeah. he was Dutch. He was Dutch. Oh. His hand slammed down on one stack and he shouted, This phony baloney! This does belong! This phony baloney. <laughs> he was very excitable. As a control set, the detective had placed photos from a completely unrelated case and Peter had sniffed them out immediately. Oh, he turned yeah. back. Yeah. Literally yeah. sniffed them out. <laughs> He turned back to his work and slammed his hand down again on another stack and said, This one! This tough one! Show dead woman! Legs apart! I see here! One hands up, one down. Funny way. Here, I show you. It's like this. He got on the floor, rolled on his back, <laughs> spread his legs, crooked one knee, put one arm up, one down, turned his face sideways with a slight grimace on his face and said, That woman is like this! Look, <laughs> oof, and it's... And he's raping me. And he's uh -oh. raping me. Oh, 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 oh. The Oof. photograph was of Beverly Saman, uh, Saman, who was in the exact position that Peter now lay on the floor. <laughs> and he did, he did the position before seeing the photo. Okay. Oh, very good. He continued. Okay, give me stockings. He rubbed the stocking scarves and blouses of the dead woman. I feel it's a man who killed. I see him. He, not too big. Five feet, seven, eight. He, he weigh 130 or 40 pounds. Spitzy nose. Something was wrong with his thumb. No feeling. Bad skin. Something. He have scar on left arm. Mm -hmm. I see me. He come from hospital. Got a little Asian. Yeah, got a little Asian. We're definitely teetering mean, into uh, a... Yeah. I, I see me. He come from hospital. Then down the basement, he was stick. He'll stick first to switch around the room and break 
curtains. Then he put shtick in vagina and he masturbate. I'm not sure she did yet. He uh, so he just described every man, every Italian man in Boston. <laughs> well, the right? problem is, Five is anybody, foot eight bad skin. anybody who's like you know you see open vagina and you just kind of want to play with it like a stick, like it's a like it's a dead frog. <laughs> oh sure, yeah, that's how people play with. No, those. no, I see masturbation. Sperm on the blanket. On what body. was that on the blanket? Sperm. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a sperm. You know, it's just tiny tadpoles. It's in the milk that comes oh, off of your pee Oh, yeah, sperm. Yeah, yeah. Man violent. I see bandages. He have pain in head. He hears things. He put bandages on head for pain. Give me towel, I show you. After procuring a towel, Peter tied it tightly around his head and said, This is what he do! He threw himself to the floor and thrashed about, flailing his arms, Uh crying in a piercing voice. This is what I see so clear. That's after he got back to his feet. Uh, He loved shoes. He loved shoes. Uh When asked why he loved shoes, Peter said, I don't know. Maybe he masturbates and shoots. He wash hands in toilet. Never take baths. Always wash hands in toilet. I see priests. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. No, he, he's not priest. He doctor from hospital. Oh no, 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 not doctor. He look like priest. He dress like priest. Uh oh. Uh huh. Continue. Continue. He speak French, English. I hear French accent. He talk like girl. He like this. Goddamn. This is no good, son of a bitch. He's a pervert. And oh my. Peter's wrist went limp as he imitated ooh, an obvious ooh, homosexual. He's gay. He's gay. Uh-huh. And you should know. Ooh. And they bring the noodles to me, and oh, I shut the noodles like they're a bunch of dicks. Oh, I see. I see. I mean, at the, immediately following every time this man goes on one of his rampages, he has to be like, do you think they bought that bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> also, dude, I mean, like, he's just dumping down Gatorade down his oh, throat as he yeah. does the full act. That's a great psychic act, though. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So remember in the first episode with Mr. Gordon, the lispy psychic, the mm-hmm. lis- lispy local psychic, uh, he fingered Arnold Wallace for the crimes. I bet he did. Yeah. <laughs> and Arnold Wallace was actually a very good suspect for right. the crimes. And remember, Arnold Wallace, of course, he had the low IQ. He's the, the one IQ, who, who escaped kill, or though was sort of allowed to leave the uh, mental facility. Killed his mother, all that type of shit. Yeah. He is an extremely good suspect for the older ladies. The younger ladies, mm. however, might be the work of one Thomas O'Brien. Not his okay. real name, Ooh. but Thomas O'Brien. The officers, they handed Peter a, a note, a letter written by a man, because they're looking into the hospital connection. The hospital connection is still very much at the forefront of the BPD's minds, because if you'll remember, there are a ton of hospital connections in a lot of these cases. Uh, so he gave uh, Peter, Mr. Herkos, the letter uh, written uh, by this guy. A very bizarre letter. It was written to the Boston School of Nursing, and it was pretty much just asking them if they had a dating service for him to meet a nurse he could marry. Cool. I mean, this man was way ahead of his time. It's all you know? about, yeah, because he could have started nursedate.com if he was in, right. if this was during the Silicon Valley uh, bubble. And if there isn't a nursedate.com, which I don't believe that there currently is, please get one. I'll I would do love that. To go I'd on a love date to look on that. Yeah, nurses are wonderful people with big hearts who do nothing but take care of your parents after you don't want to talk, with the, talk to them anymore. Yeah, he said in the letter my reason for writing now is to say that I am a bachelor and for some long time I've wanted to meet a good Catholic nurse who might have graduated from nursing school about 1950. Perhaps while interviewing I might see a nurse who might like me as much as I'd like her and if so we could begin a friendship that might lead to an affair. I'd be glad to call (sighs) at the office to see you about this if you wish. At any rate may I hear from 
you. If you'd like to, you could call Dr. Richard S. H. Wright of 1190 Beacon Street in Brookline. He has known me for many years. With every best wish, I am sincerely Thomas I, P. O'Brien. I hate to say this, Barbara, but do you notice that the envelope seems to be stuck together with like a funny kind of glue? Like a glue? <laughs> it's like a funny Does glue Does it smell like there. glue? No, it smells like... Ammonia and peaches? <laughs> <laughs> so Peter, Oh, that's straight up. Come on there. That is good. <laughs> no, I smelled that before. Herb. Herb before he passed. Yeah, that he smells like do, his He underwear. used to make that glue. Yeah. So Peter yeah. grabbed the letter, crumpled it up in his hand, and said, By God, son of a bitch, he do it. This is Ivan. He is the murderer. Oh, he's just looking for love. I have sympathy for this poor, lonely bastard. Well, let's look into Thomas O'Brien just a little bit. He was a man in his 50s with a history of mental illness. Ah. He had briefly been in the monastic order, that's the priest connection, in which many of the priests spoke with a French accent. Okay. He had also worked as a door-to-door salesman selling women's shoes to nurses. Holy wow. shit. It's like if you say a bunch of really vague statements, they all oh, come Matt. true. Sure, I mean, okay, you okay think pr- about it. Priest, France, shoes, <laughs> no, he masturbating shoes. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, it's very, he's dead on. So they eventually found O'Brien at a dilapidated rooming house. He was short, middle-aged, and pinched nose, oh. spitzy, as uh, Herkos called it. Uh, his voice, high-pitched and effeminate, and, we re- and when he refused to talk to them and slammed the door in their faces, Peter said, Jesus Christ, he the man, he the murderer. <laughs> Uh-oh, we found him. And so when they brought O'Brien in on a technicality that allowed any physician to commit anyone acting, quote, Oddly, they fe- wow. we would not have lasted like, a fucking second. No, and this is 1964 Boston <laughs> yeah. standard of odd. Yeah. Now he didn't say the N word one time today. <laughs> they found that he was no more than 130 pounds and about five feet seven, exactly like Herco said. He had a scar on his left arm and a thumb on, and the thumb on his right hand was deformed. Mm. All of these details that Peter had predicted. Nubby thumb. They also found a book of yoga figures in which eleven women, the number of women murdered, Uh had been blotted out with black ink. And in his dresser drawer, they found a half a dozen men's scarves tied together in knots. Yeah. Interesting. And I made the yoga joke on the last episode, if you recall that. So now I have a connection as well. <laughs> Are you the killer? No, no. I'm not ageless. I wasn't in Boston in 1962. I didn't kill the woman that <laughs> looked at me all odd. You're not ageless? <laughs> no. And in the same drawer as the yoga drawings, they also found a notepad with sketches of apartments with X's drawn in certain rooms in each one, which happened to correspond with the room some of the victims have been found in, and okay. when they asked him why he did this, uh, he <laughs> said, "This." Is, we'll get to that in a second. They said, when he asked him why he did this, he said that it was a game that him and his brother played sometimes. Oh, oh like, where do we kill the old lady? Old, old ladies, and where are we? <laughs> and where do we need to go next? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that game. Yeah. I think, yeah, Boston has a bunch of people who play fun games like that, like the Tarnoff's brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when they the went in there, because yeah, they were like, how <laughs> many, how ironic can we make oh, it that a bunch of God. people could spend their lives taking care of their bodies, and then we kill them by blowing them up with a bomb? Oh, Oh, that's yeah. so funny. And then what do people in Boston love? They love a good crock pot. They love a good pork roast. We'll, we'll Make it illegal with. to own one. Make, that's right. <laughs> the only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. <coughs> that was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. 
No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it. But guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And in another connection, this is a weird one. The landlady said he took showers with his shoes on. Number one, how did she know it? Number <laughs> yeah, two. Yeah, that's number. Good, good number one. Good number one. Number two, um, 
bad idea. I don't know. Especially maybe. if you got suede. <gasps> suede is nearly impossible to fix if oh. you get it wet. Oh Leather gets all creaky maybe and dumb. Maybe he was wearing oh. those old, like, uh, the aqua feet. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. People used to wear sandals and things like that in yeah, college perverts. when they go shower. <laughs> no, perverts because everyone's coming and dumping on the floor, having sex in random stalls. It is a boarding house. It is a dilapidated boarding house. Yeah, so, it's very dirty. Right. So he's got to wear shoes. And he's walking around like, okay, um... Well, I could wear my patent leathers, but that's to wear over to church, and uh, I guess I'll wear my my Crocs. Right. <laughs> Ooh, if, if the future's bright, you wear sunglasses at night, but if you'll, you really have nothing to look forward to, you wear shoes in the shower. Hey, everybody around, I don't really notice anybody else wearing shoes or nothing. <laughs> Guys, why don't you wear shoes? What do you mean you want to just shower in silence? I, uh, I think that dude's the Boston Strangler. I'm not a strangler. <laughs> you want to see my knot collection? You want to see uh, all the apartments I, that I've been in and the ones no, I, I haven't been in yet? As a man, I feel safe, but as a person who loves his mother, I'm terrified. That is funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> so the only problem they had with this guy uh, the only is real problem the only they real problem right. they had besides the fact that the only thing that had to go on was the word of an overly excitable Dutch clairvoyant with a cowboy with a cowboy sidekick. The, all of this evidence yeah. is very circumstantial. We never did know what Curious George's uh, the man in the yellow hat did for a living. Yeah, he was yeah. he was the bodyguard to a psychic, and he paid him in lottery numbers. Very and he kept saying, he's like, oof, I'm sorry, I was off this week. But next week, next week is yeah. the day! He's the uh, author of well. Curious George. Really missed the true storyline here. So he was, uh, after two days of a uh, commitment, that was all they were illegally allowed to commit him for due to odd behavior. Uh, O'Brien was set free and walked out of the case forever. Herkos, in a strange twist, he left Boston uh, completely satisfied with the job that he had done. He didn't do, he didn't finish the job. Oh, they no. wouldn't take my choices. I am better than them, and I will go and try and figure out who will win the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> Double my money. That's where all the money's at, yeah. So he was, two days after he he left Boston, he was arrested in New York for impersonating an FBI agent when he had allegedly posed as an agent at a gas station in Milwaukee two months before. That is a movie waiting to happen about what that storyline was. <laughs> right, that right. Is, there is a story to that that we need to figure out. And I'm and excited about it. How do you pose as an FBI agent in you 1964 just tell, in Milwaukee, just tell somebody Wisconsin? I'm an FBI, right, FBI agent. Give me free gas. Give me oh. free gas because I come from the government. And if you don't, I will uh, send you to the camp. You bet. Oh, you betcha. So the, the clairvoyant was posing as an FBI agent. Yes. Yeah, it said the FBI arrested him for impersonating an FBI agent. Here's a couple of things about that, though. Oh, is that, my. like I said earlier, police in general hated Herkos and yes. people like him. And while they couldn't prevent him from coming to Boston, they could at least discredit him, uh, both him and the attorney general's office, uh, because it is important to note, the commissioner, the police commissioner in Boston was a former FBI agent. It's uh, also said that the whole stunt was engineered by Democrats to sink Attorney General Brooks' campaign shortly before his campaign for re-election. Which is also very interesting because Brooke, the first African-American Attorney General, was also a Republican. Yes, Which is was. very interesting. But, well, back then it was still kind of the party of Lincoln. I don't yeah, understand. There's the a big old. There, there was, <laughs> so a, there was when a bit it was of like, a flipperoo with yeah, the, uh, no, with the Republicans the, didn't have the fucking civil, mustaches. The Civil no, Rights yeah, Act yeah, yeah. of uh, the Civil Rights Act kind of flipped Democrats and Republicans. Republicans was yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, have time. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but either way, it wasn't extremely <laughs> yeah. rare to be a black Republican. We're all a part of a fucking reptilian hologram. All right, I'm taking it. Not this episode, Henry. Not this episode. And furthermore, the Civil Liberties Union was making a big stink about the way O'Brien had been questioned. 
uh, apparently his uh, rights had been trod upon a little bit. Yeah, I mean, just 48 hours of, well, you weren't uh, acting Boston normal. They came into my shower, and I was wearing my shower shoes, <laughs> and they were pushed me back and forth, and they sent me to a place saying I was being odd, <laughs> even though I hadn't had a chance to eat my chocolate pudding for dessert. But That's I will true. tell you, when I went into the hospital, I got chocolate pudding right away. <laughs> oh, there you go. So a little thank benefit. you. That's nice. You I'll be on my way. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm not wearing any clothes. That's all right. At least I you got, got your shoes done. Yeah, I always do. Because uh, <laughs> if I don't, uh, that's when the shadows can see me. All right, okay. (laughs) So the police, they were also completely out of ideas, so they returned to their own psychic, (laughs) Paul Gordon, not because because they believed in his powers, but because of his extreme knowledge of the crime scene. Which would also probably make him a suspect as well. It definitely made him a suspect. So the BPD brought Gordon in under the auspice of asking him more psychic information, but really looking to grill him about the crimes. Okay. Now, what they suggested to him, and he completely went along with, was to drug him up. They gave him a mixture of methadrine, which is a pharmaceutically manufactured brand of methamphetamine, and sodium pentothal, a.k.a. truth serum. Well, I always like to do when I have somebody and I want to get his confession is treat them uh, in a way that will make everything they say not admissible in court. <laughs> so that it's like they said nothing, even Absolutely. though we know what they said, though. But the yeah. one thing I'll say about meth... Is that if there if, if meth heads aren't anything, they're honest. <laughs> they, they are very and they do need scratch off. They tickets. do need scratch off right. tickets. Oh yes. So after a series of questions, and by the way, Herka or uh, not Herkos, Gordon is full of meth. And sodium pentothal at this Jesus. point. So he's got both an upper and a downer right. in his system. Uh, the doctor in charge, because they brought in a psychiatrist to kind of lead him along, they came to the subject of Nina Nichols. And when they asked him about Nina Nichols, Gordon said, At one point in the apartment, he took off his his clothes. He wants to be a little boy. And the voice took on the sing-song tone of a child. To be a little boy mm. again to start all over again. Again, a little boy <laughs> to be a little boy and free, yeah. so free. <laughs> I do think he took the exact same to- cocktail a young Shirley MacLaine took before she would perform. <laughs> or so. like how Carol Channing said she was discovered by Broadway, where it's just like they put me, brought my producer brought me into his <laughs> office, and he said, "Can you do a Russian accent?" And I went, "Yagi gagi gagi gagi," and he said, <laughs> "Next thing he said was, can you do an Irish accent?" And I went, "Yagi gagi gagi gagi," and the next thing. You know, I was in my first Broadway review. So she just blew him. Yeah. She blew them down. Good. And so the doctor asked, did he have any impulse to do something to the lower part of the woman's body? What was his interest there? He didn't try to do anything. He wants to be reborn again. He he played and experimented. I was thinking, it's like, how could I be born from such a thing? It just doesn't seem reasonable because it's just so close. It's tight, narrow, confined. To be reborn, I must enlarge this thing. He'd do mm. it with whatever was necessary, whatever was handy. Broomstick, whatever. Right. <laughs> That is a what, is it Ted Gunn? What's the name of the gun? The uh, the fashion artist? Oh, Tim yeah. Gunn. Tim Gunn. Yeah. All of these psychics have the same exact qualities. Um, and also, right. I just want to again just remind everybody. This shit happened. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. These you are know what? court documents we are reading from. Right. These are these are police 
statements. This yeah. is all real. This you know is not so a funny? Bronson Pinchot movie. Right. Oh, yes. Bronson <laughs> yeah. Pinchot. We're not making talented. any of this up. I took all of that dialogue. I took it directly from the Boston Strangler by Gerald Frank. I was about to, yeah, I was about to have to suspend disbelief. I was actually almost going into the mental mindset that I have a lot during the Alien episodes, but then thank you, Henry, for clarifying <laughs> yeah. that again. This is reality. Is and total, now that you snap me back into it, I'm going to say this. I'm pissed. <laughs> I am pissed at the I'm Boston like, Police Department. I'm embellishing a little bit, but honestly, it's just written down. I'm literally right. just reading what's written. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in reality, it probably just sounded like a Boston guy with a lisp. Like, just like, he didn't try to do anything. He wants to be reborn again. Yeah, so he's like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. <laughs> Which is even worse, yeah. <laughs> so over the next hour, Gordon appeared as Arnold's mother crooning endearments to her son. And then is it because... So he did a full one-man show. He did he a full, really like, did. John yeah. Leguizamo fucking... Yes. Yeah, because he's still... This is still the guy that uh, is down for Arnold Wallace. Uh, the gangly, grotesque man. The guy built like a murderer. With yeah, the, the long guy arms arms built exactly, than Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the guy... Yeah. Yeah. Felt exactly like a murderer. Uh, so he uh, appeared as Arnold's mother, crooning endearments to her son. Uh, and then as Gordon himself, he started speaking angrily with Arnold. And then he would become Arnold again, uh, who would who one day, this is what uh, Gordon said, that he found in Arnold's subconscious. He said he followed his mother secretly, only to find that she was a prostitute. And then when he discovered that she was a prostitute, that's when he decided he would kill her. No, you, you have sex with her. You know, that's what no, you do with prostitutes. I mean, that's prostitute, what he wants. That, I, I, I mean, that's... We saw the same thing with, um... Who saw his mother as a sexual... Not Ridgeway. Uh, yeah, Gary Ridgeway would Ridgeway? see his mom... He would see yeah. his mom... Uh, well, all uh, did. ...sunbathing out in the backyard, and he would be confused about, like, the sexual feelings he was feeling. So I bet that's what it always is, is that mm -hmm. you see your right. mama dressed up as a prostitute, and you've always wanted to fuck mama, and you probably could mm. fuck mama if you bought her, but now you know that it makes you so angry to think about it that you fucking yeah. snap her neck. Yep. Well, I'll never forget it. I just had a, a little visual there of my mom, and I'm not saying these words out loud, so I'll be safe. She was far... Oh, I am talking out yeah, loud. You are talking oh, out loud. oh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I really, I got it in my own head there. Oh, so. Yeah, it's weird that you tied the microphone cord in a weird sort of bow-like <laughs> knot. No, no man, I'm not the Boston Strangle. I did it. <laughs> it just seems like you know. it's weird how I have never seen you change, and it's like you right. know, like you, you may you said the weird thing about not being ageless, but right. Yeah. yeah. Well, what you were just saying works into the profile that was drawn up by James Brussels, uh, historically one of the very first criminal profilers, and the man who had famously came up, uh, come up with the near perfect description of the mad bomber. Uh, now, if, uh, like a very quick thing about that is that it was eerily uncanny is that this mad bomber guy was go had gone un... Uh, you know, he had been loose for a few years. They brought in this guy. He did a profile of uh, a man living with his sisters, uh, middle-aged, of a Serbian background. And fucking and, nailed it right and wearing head. And wearing a double-breasted uh, suit jacket and nailed it down to the fucking suit jacket. Okay. Uh, and so he his profile in The Strangler was that the guy had an Oedipus complex and he was impotent with every other woman uh, but he believed that if he could destroy his mother's image he would be free to direct his libido elsewhere and mm -hmm. it is very important to note that all of the old ladies were said to physically resemble each other they were they looked a lot alike and so again what we're talking about what we talked about last episode and what serial killers do a lot of the time is a lot of the, it's symbolic a lot yeah. of the crimes yeah. are about 
it's sort of like a ghost when we talk about residual hauntings, about setting up the circumstances that will allow you to relive and do the things you had wanted to do mm -hmm. that you couldn't do before because you either felt you were too chicken and now you have the strength to do it and you're a monster. Yeah. And you're a I will monster. say, most elderly women at some point do look alike. Yeah, Everyone I mean, that is true. Because, I mean, you also start um, looking like, I mean, everybody starts yeah. looking like a bulldog eventually, right? Exactly. Because Except for that Helen, Helen Mirren. Oh, beautiful <laughs> Helen Mirren. Bring her looking up. Good. Every podcast, we should mention her. Every elderly woman ends up looking alike because God has a type. You know? <laughs> and and, and he like, loves a raisin with a hat on. He can't get enough of it. Not too much sun. <laughs> Not too much sun. So now we're going to bring in the man who claimed to be responsible for each and every one of these murders, Albert DeSalvo. Yeah, Albert DeSalvo had mm -hmm. like the perfect cocktail to be a rapist slash murderer. Yeah, a serial rapist, definitely. Uh, his father was a violent alcoholic. Uh, at one point, he knocked out all of his wife's teeth. Another time, he bent her fingers back until they broke. Uh, DeSalvo DeSalvo, he tortured animals as a child. He uh, And also, apparently, too, it's like he would bring prostitutes back to their home, and he would have sex with prostitutes in the living room in front of the family, uh, Albert DeSalvo's father. Disgusting. Uh, and yeah. was, oh, uh, yeah, God. he was a total maniac, yeah. Oh, Jesus. And he, uh, he also started shoplifting and stealing at an early age, which we see again and again. Uh, but he was said... Uh, to have a good relationship with his mother. No, his which, brother would talk about how like he would he would try to protect his mother. Yeah, and he also was really mindful of the other brothers and sisters. And so it's like when he started stealing, he was stealing to get money. And what he would kind of do is like he would steal and then buy shit for his brothers and sisters. Yeah, which is a a striking a. a Generousness, a generosity that we don't see with other serial killers. No, it's sort of it's yeah, a it's a Robin not. Hood syndrome. Sort of, you know. He's still a maniac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm he's just still saying a maniac. He's still a rapist, but he's yeah. not a serial killer. Like besides torturing And I'll tell you animals, one thing: if that is like a sentence that describes your life, then but you are a bad person. You're still you're, a bad, you're person. bad person. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, yeah. he's not. No, he was a maniac and a serial rape, and a, <laughs> a, but not a serial killer. Also a know? pathological yeah. liar and a total con man. Yeah. But right. it's like so. What happened is that he was crazy. He was starting to get crazy sexual impulses when he was a kid. You would talk about it as like it was a burning in his stomach <laughs> that he would like, and unless he did something, it would like basically drive him nuts. So he joined the army. Yeah. To sort of like sort it all out. And so That'll he work. got, and it's after, it's like the perfect time to join the army. It's after right. World War II. So it's like, He's it's in like the, he was in the occupation army, army in Germany. Yeah. So he gets to just walk around just Germany. Just hanging out. Yeah. Looking at beautiful, huge tits. And at this time, American people around the world were seen as liberators and great. We uh, were human great beings. then. Yeah. We were awesome then. Yeah. Um, and so he went there and he met his wife. He met a German wife and, uh, that's when it really started manifesting itself. Yeah, he had two kids with his wife, but he was disturbingly oversexed. He said, uh, his wife said that he wanted sex in the morning, when he came home for lunch, after supper, and then again before sleep. And on weekends, he needed her five or six times a day. And when they were out and about on the town, he'd make suggestive comments to attractive women right in front of and her. And it's so funny. Rude. I was watching a thing about her sister, and he, it, like, she would come on. She was like... It was terrible. He would force her to have sexual intercourse with her five or six times a day. And then she would wake up and they would have sexual intercourse. And then she'd go into the bathroom and he would have his... I his semen all over the towels when she went in there. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's rude. God. Good God. This guy's a real jerk. Oh, he is. He began his career. You don't use the guest towels. Yeah. Yeah, well, you don't come in the towel. Shoot into You're the in toilet. the Exactly. You got toilet paper. Yeah, well, just shoot in the toilet or in the bathtub and rinse it out. There you go. There's a lot of different places to put your cum other than the towels. It, Thank you, Marcus. But that is why that fellow that we were previously discussing wore shoes in the shower because he understands how gross men are. 
Mm-hmm. I've seen the, the cum swirling around the drain, and I gotta tell you what, I don't want it on my toenails. Definitely not. No, they're putting me back for being odd, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they keep putting me back in there for two days at a time. So DeSalvo began his career in serial, serial crime in a relatively low-key way in 1961, just four months before the stranglings began. So remember okay. that if uh, DeSalvo was the Boston Strangler, that he would have gone from this crime, which we'll get into, which is, rel- I mean, compared to the stranglings, extremely innocent sure. to go from this crime <laughs> to the strang. He's not innocent, but relatively, to go from this crime, uh, a fondling, essentially, to brutal molestation and murder. Right. So, I think a fondling is a far too polite of a word for when you go and grope a woman's breasts on the subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Fondling sounds like a little duck that you just <laughs> captured and you go, like, I'm going to raise it fond- to be my own. Yeah, yeah, and then every once in a while, you just stick your fucking your pinky up its ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what he would do is he'd knock on the doors of college students, usually around nine in the morning, and if a young woman came to the door, he'd say, uh, my name, uh, my name's Johnson. I'm from a modeling agency. Your name was given me as someone who might make a good model. And then while she didn't pose then and there, uh, DeSalvo said that he did have to take her measurements, and then he would produce a tape measure. And if she was suitable... Really thoroughly get that chest. Really, yeah. really just get it. And if she was suitable... I'm going to have to redo it again. It's just real weird. There's no numbers on that tape measure there. See ya. So, okay. <laughs> I gotta go. If she was suitable, he would say that, quote, a Mrs. Lewis from the agency would come by in a few days he would to offer, take care of the necessary paperwork. And so what he would do, too, is that he would offer the money. It's like $5 right. was for the measurements, mm-hmm. and then $10 is for a picture of you clothed. $15 was a picture of you in, in bra and panties, and $25 was for a picture of you nude. Mm. And so he would right. start do, increasing it as he was going, and he'd give him a little money, and then part of it, he's just jerking off to the pictures, mm-hmm. but then he would start to coerce them into having sex with them as well by doing stuff being like, well, maybe if you do something for me, what I can do is I can go and represent you and then I can make sure that you win first prize in the photo contest. There had to be some woman who answered the door like, you know, they call me gargantuan, Becky. Hey, oh, you do think I could be a model? You know what, actually, uh... No, come in. No, come no, in. No, 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 come in. You know, it's I made you Woo! some. Come in here. <laughs> That's the day I was raped. And I was raped then, and I know, you know what, I learned a lot from that day, because it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> so over the period of a month, DeSalvo measured a dozen women and was eventually caught after women complained, uh, and he would get, and this is strange, you don't ever see this, DeSalvo would gain three different names over his life of crime, the first of which... The Measuring Man. And again, he's Ooh, called the, I measuring like the Measuring Man. But then yeah. he gets picked up, and again, he's basically given a slap on the wrist and let go for some reason. Right. Yeah. And they didn't list it. That's a part of why he didn't originally show up when they were going through the uh, the crime, like going through all the sex offenders in Boston when they were trying to begin the the investigation for Boston Stranglers. Yeah. Is because they dropped the charge of lewdness. Yeah. That's from right. his account. So it's ba- basically they dropped the charge, and so he was not officially a sex offender, even though he molested an essential raped how like many people women. does it take to come forward and be like this guy is uh, obviously doing it ask Bill Cosby <laughs> uh, I'm telling you it seems like the magic number is going to be 24 you see <laughs> alright that is episode what are we on are we in the middle of the summer right now I didn't do it right? yes I didn't do it last yeah, week no? oh, yeah that was oh, okay. pretty good though it showed some restraint <laughs> on your wow, part very nice so DeSalvo he wouldn't be caught for a crime again until November of 1964 remember the stranglings were in 19 
1961 and 1962. He was arrested in 1964 after he had appeared at a woman's apartment, uh, at a woman's apartment wearing green slacks. He mm. broke in while the victim was sleeping, woke her up, and said. Don't worry, I'm a detective. Were these elderly women, young women, middle-aged? Young. This is a young yeah, woman. These were okay. all young, know, these are young attractive women. And okay. the way these crimes go... And this is after the Boston Strangler murders. Yes, right. and, the, and the way these crimes pan out are st- very different yeah. than the Boston Strangler murders. Right. Where it's like he basically walks in, he puts a knife to the throat, They put her. he puts her underwear in mm. her mouth, and then he ties her up with her ankles, her husband's pajamas, he ties each ankle to an opposite bedpost, and then he... Rapes her and then apologizes and then leaves. Yeah, and the woman apologized. He apologized. Yeah, he said, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry." (laughs) Well, this is awkward. I gotta go. (laughs) Oh my god, what a piece of shit this guy. So the woman got a good look at DeSalvo. So a police sketch was drawn, uh, and then when it went out within six hours, uh, got the attention of detectives in Connecticut who had reports of a similar looking man committing rapes in the exact same way. Committed four in one day. Four in one day. They called him. The green man, because he wore green work pants. Before it was over, it was determined that DeSalvo had raped over 300 women in four different states. And CBS was like, hey, do you want a sitcom? Uh, That's kind of a funny joke. (laughs) It worked for me. I just (laughs) raped my way to success, you see. So he was waiting for, while he was awaiting trial, DeSalvo was given a mental evaluation to see if he was competent to stand trial. But this, and this evaluation was done before he ever copped the strangler crimes. And while the psychiatrist did find feelings of contempt for his father and an unmistakable hatred of women, they found nothing uh, that would suggest that he had anything close to the profile that Brussels had made. No rage towards his mother, no Oedipus complex, and definitely no problems of potency. And the other thing, when this went down, he went to his sister's house, basically. When he found out they were looking for him, he went to his sister's house, and he's like, you got it. It's like, you guys need to help me. I'm in a lot of trouble. And she's like, what'd you do? And he started crying, and he's like, I broke into this lady's house, and she was so scared she died of a heart attack, and now they're trying to get me for murder. And so Right. She was like, you got to turn yourself in if they're looking for you. They try to drive to the police station. And she said, people are watching. Car- cops are starting to fo- trail them because they get the license plate of his car, yeah. right? And so he drops. Basically, he's like, I got to go. I got to go. He jumps out of the car and begins a foot chase. Cops chase after him. And the way he gets caught is that a cop drops his gun. Albert DeSalvo stops, finds the gun, and gives it back to him. And they arrest him there on the street. Right, so that's sort of a uh, kind of a John Wayne Gacy moment when Gacy had the cops trailing him, but he just went to drop off some joints yeah, at his buddy's place. Buddy's place. So yeah, that just, retarded. That was so <laughs> retarded. So he just oh, here you go. You might you might want this to shoot me later. Yeah. Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around. It's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas peat hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor and their dust dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself good old refried bean burrito and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning so I got myself some chop.
Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chai, and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So DeSalvo was found incompetent to stand trial, and so he was committed to Bridgewater State Mental Hospital, where our friend Arnold Wallace was being held. Right. 
So I'm gonna. So this next part, uh, this a lot. Of, some of this analysis that we're about to go through, I got this uh, from this book called Popular Crime by Bill James. It is one of the best books about true crime writing that I have ever. That's what it's all about. It's all about true crime writing and true crime uh, reporting, and it is highly fucking recommended. It's one of the top on the reading list. Uh, so yeah, check out uh, check out Popular Crime by Bill James. So in March of 1965, Albert DeSalvo started telling people that he had committed. The murder because that's what he kept okay. saying too. Is he started asking around? He just started going like, "He's like, huh? I bet whoever has that Boston Strangle would make a lot of money off a case like this." Yep. and like saying right. stuff to the cops like, "Well, wait, do you get a load of the other things that maybe I did?" Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. When okay, so we're dealing with now DeSalvo. He's he he will be incarcerated for the majority of his life at this point, right? Uh, he's already no, in. The, he's he, already in the, no, been, he kept getting bounced out. Yeah, he every time he'd get arrested, out. it was like small petty crimes, and he never went to but prison. But when he confessed for the murders, he was he was incarcerated, right? He was yes. at Bridgewater. Yeah. Okay, so what I'm asking is, and what I'm saying is, rapists get treated the worst out of anybody in a prison system. Mm-hmm. If he cops to being the Boston Strangler, now he's a murderer. Yes. Oh, you know, it bumps so your it, class. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a better better position for him to be in in the uh, institution that he's currently things, living in. And they talk about it too, and he became this is what him George Nasser started talking about at the at the uh, Bridgewater State Mental Hospital. Yeah. Was about how like George his, Nasser was his inmate. Is his or kid, what, not his inmate uh, roommate. Roommate. Yeah. Is it a roommate? <laughs> is it cellmate? <laughs> yeah, cellmate. cellmate. Yeah, cellmate. roommate. Is, they yeah. weren't splitting utilities. Well, yeah. it was. It's Bridgewater. Uh, it's it is a hospital for the criminally. Insane, uh, but you know you're going to get a room rather than a cell. Exactly, and so now he's talking about yeah. it's like, well, if I'm going to be in crime for the rest of my life for for being the green man, then why don't I try to make some money for my family by also being the Boston Strangler and selling the rights to my story? Yeah, this is before the I believe John Wayne Gacy is the reason that they based that law off of you can't make money if uh, if you're a prisoner, you can't make yes. money off your art or uh, a benefit off your crimes. Right, right. So uh, George Nasser, he was the client of a young hotshot lawyer that was looking to make a name for himself. F. Lee Bailey. Now he's Lee got Bailey. a tomato head. F. Lee Bailey <laughs> represented uh, O.J. Patty Simpson. Hurst. Yeah. and O.J. Simpson. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. F. Lee Bailey has he is a magnet. And to he, the worst people on earth. Oh, he's a, the, I would say he is uh, among the country's most uh, prolific and successful uh, criminal law lawyer. He made himself uh, Albert DeSalvo's lawyer. Yeah. He went and found Albert DeSalvo when the case broke. He went and was there. Like They didn't meet Effley right. Bailey until Albert DeSalvo's sister got a call from him just being like, you're going to want to leave town. You're going to want to change your name. You're going to take your kids and go to another place. He's like, I got this. So he has the same complex probably as Gacy's lawyer did who compared himself to John Adams. Oh, no, no, no. F. Lee Bailey was... Because the guy who... uh, Amarante, he saw himself as more... An American hero. An American hero. Like, he saw himself as like a big... Like, just a guy that everyone should love. F. Lee Bailey wanted nothing but money and fame. That is all he wanted. Almost more honest. Yeah, almost, almost, yeah. No, almost I mean, if you're a lawyer, that. that's what lawyers, that would be the motivation for yeah. being a lawyer such and as his. F- and Bailey, he had just been handed the most wanted man in America. Right. Like, he, they had just completely, he had just been, pl- like, a million dollar case had been plopped in his lap. Million dollars as far as getting his name out there. Oh, right. yeah. Because he wasn't going to make any money from DeSalvo, but he was going to make a lot of money uh, from the case itself. He tried to, he negotiated a deal with the Bottomley Commission. <laughs> and this, the deal that Effley Bailey made with the Bottomley Commission is possibly the most bizarre deal that I have ever seen in my history research. Uh, he told the Bottomley Commission that he'd bring them the Boston Strangler if they'd agree to not use the information to prosecute him 
for the Boston Strangler crime. Because the idea okay. was to keep him from being executed. Yeah. They didn't want him to be, they didn't want him to get the death sentence. So the way he kind of figured it is, is like, not only will you be able to call him the Boston Strangler mm-hmm. and pin all the crimes at him, but what we can't do is, is use that as evidence because they will give him the death sentence. Definitely. What you can do is coldly book him as a serial rapist and he will be behind jail forever, but we need to keep him alive because that's where the book rights come from. That's yeah, where the right. interview rights come from. That's where all the movie deals come from. Because then the you're money. dealing with the family instead of dealing with the victim, victim rights association. Well, I mean, exactly. it's literally whatever. It's, it's what uh, what Spectre did with all these women, uh, you know, with all the musicians. Make them a star, benefit from them, and uh, you know, just throw them away. You know, don't even care yeah, about them. Exactly. And what they were planning to do is that they were planning to use the Boston Strangler uh, confession. They were planning to use his confession as evidence, but not in the case of the Boston Strangler, but rather in the Green Man rapings, uh, and they were planning to use the Boston Strangler murders as evidence that he was certifiably insane because they then he'd be put back into a hospital yeah. and he could get the rehabilitation that he said that he quote unquote wanted mm-hmm. uh, right. and that he would Jesus. just kind of sit in a place safe forever yeah mm-hmm. and in the deal uh, F. Lee Bailey would get the movie rights and the book rights of which he did make uh, there was a movie called The Boston Strangler I think and 2008 it, it's, uh, no no there was one in the uh, <clears throat> there was one in the 60s oh really uh, there was one before uh, DeSalvo died uh, there was one made oh in, with Jerry Lewis <laughs> I love the Boston Jerry. Strangler bungles his way through the loop, mm-hmm. and it's the Boston Strangler trying to rape old women, but instead he just does all these sort of fun psych eggs, falling through bowls of oranges and shit. That's great. Yep. I love that classic Jerry Lewis feature. It was a 1968 movie with uh, Tony Curtis, Henry Fonda, and Tony Curtis and George Kennedy from Naked Gun. So he got some massive stars for it. Huge stars. Yep. And this also, this movie also cemented in the public's mind uh, the idea that Albert DeSalvo was the Boston Strangler. Right. Media is used very effectively by the police department in order to solidify the, the, the conclusions they want us to make. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of course, always. And the Bottomley Commission, they had a lot to gain from DeSalvo going down as well from wrapping this whole thing up. Pun not intended. Attorney General Brooke, if you'll remember, <laughs> in a pretty little granny knot, huh? Yeah. And, then, and then they wrap it up, and then they fuck with its vagina with the broken fur bottle. <laughs> well, you're taking it was a pun that I'm he was, he was making a pun, but then yeah, you just went a little a, bit oh, dark. Oh, you went wow. dark with I was it. making it fun Different for me. You, yeah, place. you were doing something for yourself there. So Attorney General Brooke, he was gearing up for a Senate run. Okay. And having wrapped up one of the biggest criminal cases in American history will go a long way towards helping his chances. And he would eventually be elected the first black senator popularly elected to the Senate in the United States. It's it's so classic. A part of the reason why DeSalvo got... He got convicted of being the Boston Stranglers because of his confessions. He had many, many deeply... Uh, what's the term? Detailed confessions yes. that he said that, that they were like he described the the crime scene better than I could. And uh, I mean, I got to tell you, I was hardly paying attention. I will <laughs> say he, he didn't mention the nice oak table though. I loved it. Oh, it's nice, nice and brown nice table, nice brown. But uh, here's, I mean, he was fed these stories. Just here's how we can refute that. Yes, uh, a substantial amount of the information about the crimes that uh, Albert had what had been in newspapers over the years. It had been heavily reported. Uh, Albert had a photographic memory so he was able to remember all this shit uh, and he had also and during one of his descriptions you could compare his description of uh, the house to the description of uh, that the newspaper gave of uh, the crime scene and the way they dis- identical the way they right. discovered his is uh, photogenic memory which is really interesting is that he uh, 
basically they wanted to see how good his memory was and they had a room full of people they had a big interview room and they had to come in and he did like a what confession session or whatever it is and then he leaves next day they had everybody sitting in different positions wearing different clothes and they came into the very top and they're like do you remember where Steven was sitting and where you know Bailey was mm-hmm. sitting and Stephanie and he picked everything out and remembered Jesus. what they were wearing as well so his brain was just a portfolio of hell yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I would if you are a serial rapist. I mean, you look at someone like Dahmer who just drank himself to forget that he just made a human zombie the night before. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Oh, I better drink again." Oh, no, no, no he had, had images of somebody crying in my bed as I cut his penis off. His different though is that he had a sexual impulse he couldn't control, and so he felt totally validated. Yeah, and so that's what's really fucked up. It's not like he was a tortured fucking madman alone in an apartment. He thought that he he was he just couldn't control himself. He was impulse driven. Uh, but now you so you, you pair that so his photographic memory. Look at all of these super detailed fucking court cases that were in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And he'd also been in Bridgewater, if you remember, been in Bridgewater with Arnold Wallace uh, and had ample time to talk to Wallace and gain a lot of information about the crimes. And here's another thing, by the time DeSalvo got to court, a lot of the people that had been working on the Bottomley Commission had quit and were now working with F. Lee Bailey. And Unbelievable. A- another thing, too, is that when he started recounting the details of, of what hmm. he remembered from the crimes, he also remembered some certain misinformation that was mm-hmm. in those articles. Like one specific one right. I forgot was that he kept calling Joanne Graff Joan because in the newspaper when they put up the, the picture of her like when they did the announcement of her murder they accidentally called her Joan Graff. Mm-hmm. Which is proof that he probably wasn't uh, at at uh, in these murders. Probably not. And it was also said that. at that if you'll remember uh, there was uh, a neighbor said that there was a, a strange man that had come looking for her and she named he named Joanne Graff by name. He said is Joanne Graff here. So Crazy. that is another inconsistency. So right. they do a lot of and and basically they showed his picture to a bunch of people who said they seen the sandy blonde man in the green pants that showed when he showed up above um, Joanne's house mm-hmm. and also when what was the other one when he was spotted and it was like they they spotted him a couple of times and they showed him the picture of Albert DeSalvo and it was like that's not the guy I saw. Well, between the yeah. re-election of Brooks and uh, and F. Lee Bailey wanted to make some cash and uh, and get his profile out there and then DeSalvo wanted to be a murderer as opposed to a rapist. I mean, everyone had something to benefit from him confessing to this crime. No, we have had, and at the time, there was, I mean, we didn't really do DNA testing, but they didn't find anything that matched his blood because they didn't leave any blood behind. So they had no hard evidence. It was all circumstantial shit. At the time, yes. Uh, But now... It had at the time there was no physical evidence linking DeSalvo to the crimes other uh, than a palm print on one of the te- there was no physical evidence whatsoever. There was a palm print on one of the televisions in one of the uh, at one of the crime scenes, but that did not match DeSalvo at all. However, in 2013, just a couple years ago, they did do a DNA test on Mary Sullivan's body and did find that it was a 99.99% match to Albert DeSalvo. So maybe he did cure, kill so, Mary Sullivan. So it is, I mean, it is possible and actually very probable that uh, he did kill Mary Sullivan, but he is without a doubt not the Boston Strangler. And the Boston Crazy. Strangler went free. So yeah, and so it does seem that, yeah, he may have, he may have killed Mary and all, but you know what? I'm not 100% convinced that those DNA results weren't faked. Okay, why? Because I don't think the city of Boston 
could admit a mistake, even because if it was said, 50 years later. And I think if there are still people with a lot to lose from this. F. Lee Bailey has been saying for years and years and years, like, he is definitely the strangler. He, I will stake my reputation on it. And F. Lee Bailey is still out and about doing shit. So if the Boston right. Strangler case goes aside, and F. Lee Bailey is going to take a big hit to his and reputation. And there's also a bunch of and things he is that were, fucking egomaniac. They were connected oh, back to this that are very interesting. Number one, because the original, they had did a DNA test in 2002. One. Um, 2001 that had failed. Yes. They, 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 they used, uh, it was, they used remnants from Mary Sullivan's corpse, correct? Mm. And yes. then they used stuff from, from her pubic hair. From hip. Really? <laughs> Don't get, what, what reaction was that? Henry stopped in his tracks. Really? Pubic hair. Yes, pubic mm. hair. Yes, her pubic hair. Yes. Mm, cool. yeah, do you want to go right. Do you want to go down to the BPD and be like, well, I'll look all your evidence. <laughs> I'll, uh, hey, you got any DNA? I'll, I'll look some pubic I'll hair. I'll look some pubic hair. Yeah, I'll look it for um, you. But, and then they used Albert DeSalvo's body, correct? No, they, in 2001, they used a, a DNA from, from his, his brother. brother. And they there was a mismatch and it didn't work out. This time, what they did was they matched the same samples from Mary Sullivan and then they used samples that they had said that they had from Albert DeSalvo from the crime scenes, yes. right? That connected them to. Which, the they did, which, by the way, the BPD in 2001 refused to give them. Absolutely. Because now you look at it, it's just like, so now they did this thing and they said that they have the proper stuff to test now, but... They had piles of Albert DeSalvo semen. Yeah. They already had it. Piles it and been, piles of it. It's like he's been, he had been a rapist for, for four years. Right. And they had all of these samples. So it's like if they had wanted to at any point tie him to it officially, they could have. Right. Anytime. Yeah. And I'm not always, that's kind of a conspiratorial view of it. But it, I think yeah, that I it's interesting. That. Also is what we talk about with Susan Kelly. Susan Kelly wrote a book called The Boston Stranglers, which is which is really cool the way it breaks down. It basically it supports Marcus's theory that there were many killers. And one of the things is that Albert DeSalvo was, so one, to fast forward to the end real quick, he was stabbed to death in jail in 1973. Yes. Uh, they basically got, started receiving calls. F. Lee Bailey and his family started receiving calls being like, you gotta get me out of here. You gotta get me out of here. I, I, I gotta talk to you guys about something. There, there's something for you guys to know about the Boston Strangler case and it's getting really hard for me in here. And he started believing there was a conspiracy among guards and fellow inmates just try to kill him. I'm sure mm -hmm. that there was. It's the same thing that happened with Dahmer. When you put someone in, in a general population who has that kind of uh, fame behind them, they're gonna get murdered. Yeah, absolutely. So the evidence against DeSalvo, uh, this is amazing. He was never charged, indicted, accused, or prosecuted by any court for any action connected with the Boston He killings. was never convicted for the killing. Never convicted for him. There were no eyewitness testimony, testimonies placing DeSalvo anywhere near the crime scenes. Yes, neighbors did uh, report suspicious characters, but none of the witnesses, when they brought them in, say, like, is this the guy? None of them said DeSalvo was their guy. Uh, and in fact, one Possible survivor of the attacks said that DeSalvo definitely wasn't no, the man the who George attacked her. No, George Nasser looked a hell of a lot more like him than Albert DeSalvo. Mm. There you go. Uh, again, the police sketch of the strangler, uh, the strangler bore no resemblance whatsoever to DeSalvo, uh, and his psychiatrist at Bridgewater, uh, he didn't believe anything DeSalvo said. He said, "No, of course." He's like, "You can't." Uh, oh, you got a right. confession from fucking liar pants? No, no don't he, believe from it. liar pants. Don't be so <laughs> offensive, Marcus. Liar pants I cannot is a believe. Huge 
they called him liar pants. Absolutely. I prefer serial rapist. Yes. Um, No, but it's true. His psychotherapist there said that. He he had all the trademarks of a sociopath, including a tremendous insecurity problem. He said you couldn't believe a word that he said because he would say anything it took for him to get him intention or to feel more important. And then also you have George Nasser mm-hmm. and him. They had they they shared a relationship in jail in which they talked openly about the amount of money that one could get from having the Boston Strangler. It was the first case, thing you asked Ethley Bailey when he called Ethley Bailey. How much that money can we get? The very first this? thing. How can how can we make right. money? And possibly George Nasser backed him up because George Nasser had an IQ level of next to genius level who yes. could possibly have been manipulating this man who's kind of simple and retarded kind of Boston yes. guy who just kind yeah. of does whatever. And he like who was just like looking to make it. And then you also have the other, um, you have uh, Andrew Arnold Wallace. And then you have Arnold Wallace, who did, who also he possibly could have shared stories with while yeah. they were sharing together. So he could have built this whole thing together in order to secure security for his family. Yeah. And you said that uh, DeSalvo wasn't that bright. I was like, yes, that is very true because DeSalvo was arrested numerous times for dumb fucking mistakes. That's how he used to get picked up for the shoplifting, for the robbery, uh, for all that sorts of shit. So the fact that he might be able to pull off 11 murders without leaving a single clue behind without fucking up once is insane. The only things that really point to DeSalvo being the strangler is that one, he said he did it and two, the cops said he did it. That's yep. it. Those are two pretty, two pretty, pretty big points in the court of uh, the criminal all, justice system. But then but, again, yeah. that makes us closer to the Russians than anything else, is because everything is about confession there. Mm-hmm. We're all about the Russians. And the and the Bottomley Commission said that he knew things uh, that only the killer would know. But in Susan Kelly's analysis, she said that if you actually read the transcripts, his confession is filled with so many inaccuracies that it actually proves that he wasn't the strangler that Absolutely. he didn't commit the crime. Absolutely and there, there's a lot of stuff like this where it's like you know if he is the murderer it's it, the, the big there's an exception to many things that we already know about serial killers right so they interviewed 25,000 people in connection with the homicides not once ever did did he show up did Albert DeSalvo ever show up in that discussion. Never. Gary Ridgway showed up so many times when they were uh, when they were investigating the, the Green River Killers. The name keeps coming up because, right. yeah. because people in the circle will start talking about their friend who's been weird for fucking years and years. Yeah. Um, and then again, normal pattern of serial murders is that of escalation and recklessness. It seems like a, this thing is that he went big up top. Yeah, right. it's, uh, it's like if he had gone from, well, it was the Measuring Man, then the Boston Strangler, uh, and then Green River. The way I heard it described is like if he went from a 2 to a 10 to a four. Yeah. Like, comparatively. Right. Like, it doesn't make any sense. As uh, The patterns of escalation that we see, uh, it is completely different. Are there any evidence from, uh, you know, other states of similar activity that happened in Boston, like the original Boston uh, strangling? With the tire, I mean, because like you were saying in the beginning, which I think is in the beginning of part one, this is probably the end of somebody else's serial killing. Uh, I don't know if there were any other, uh, if there was in, in any other states or anything like that. Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no one was, was talking back then at yeah, all. Yeah, because so. no one was talking to each other back then. And if you were, and probably the record keeping is probably horrendous from that time. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and it's also like, it's much more likely that, you know, this was... The end, like the uh, the big murders up top, because the, his most active period was four murders in the first two weeks. That is, a, it never begins with the active period. No, it's it always or unless it's a spree killing. Yeah, unless it's a spree killing, which uh, this definitely uh, was not. And so another thing about it is that DeSalvo, uh, he his rapes were committed over 
hundreds of miles in several straits, uh, several states, while the stranglings were mostly in Boston, uh, especially the old ladies within walking distance of each other. And Did DeSalvo have a Metro card? Well, the I, the fucking Boston Strangler definitely had it. Right, right. had That's to the have. Question. But the problem is that you talked about like we'll talk about that soon here. But he was saying like he he specifically said I didn't take the train. I drove everywhere. I committed the crimes, which is yeah. which is ridiculous. Yeah, he right, said he right, drove right. everywhere, and also these neighborhoods apparently notoriously hard to park in. Oh, look at that. So that was really the most stressful thing. It's so difficult to <laughs> rape. Parking. With, I, yeah, I, 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 I just talk about Los Angeles. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, uh, also, he was a criminal fuck up. Yeah. He was a dude that did a bunch of petty crimes. He got caught for every single thing that he did. Yeah. It was the legal right. system that kept, kept putting him back on the streets. It's sort yeah. of the Charles Manson effect where you make him a god in reality, Manson constantly. Constantly, constantly messing up. up. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, another thing that uh, deviates from the pattern is that DeSalvo committed his sex crimes against attractive young women in the morning while the Boston Strangler murders were committed against middle-aged to elderly women in the afternoon. And there was one other detail about the uh, about the women, uh, and this is a real strange one. They were all done on the weekend uh, except for two one of them was done on uh, December 5th, which is just another regular day. The other one was done on Flag Day, so this implies which was a national holiday. So it implies right. that the person had uh, a day have, job. Had a day job. And that was the same thing with BTK when they sort of kind of knew that he worked for the city probably. Yeah, yeah because given, he obviously, yeah, he has set. some sort of, or he has some way where he can just go into people's homes and nobody knows why he's in their homes because he knows the layout. Right. Yep. So, I mean, you get to why he confessed. Um, of course, he wanted the money. He wanted the fame. Uh, but the last thing we heard from DeSalvo before he died was that he was bitching and moaning about not getting any of the money that he was promised. So maybe now when he realized that he wasn't about to get paid out big, he was like, well, I fucking got to stop being the Boston Strangler because people are really harassing me on the inside. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. People don't like the fact that I'm the Boston Strangler. Yeah. Uh, so he said, uh, so it said that he was about to recant his crimes. Uh, and you remember, this is only seven years after he had uh, been caught or after he had confessed. Uh, so there were a lot of people with a lot to lose. Uh, Bo uh, Brooke, he was uh, just gearing up for a second Senate run. Of course, uh, if DeSalvo, um, that would be, if he recanted, that would be a huge black eye on the part of the Boston Police Department. So DeSalvo, he requested protective custody uh, and was sent into the, the prison infirmary he was stabbed to death there while he was while he was asleep. He was asleep, and right. there were no defensive wounds, suggesting that he was drugged the fuck up. Right. They got, right. so, he got he got murdered by the state, and not only that, but Probably. the killer would have had to have gone past three different checkpoints covered in blood because it was a brutal, nasty slaying. So Albert DeSalvo died in prison, probably about to recant. A victim of political assassination. And it reminds it's, it's me sort of, an, sort of an Oswald situation. It, same thing, yeah. It's that honestly, it's that that Kurt Vonnegut quote that I love. Uh, we are who we pretend to be, so be careful who you pretend to be. Yeah, that's why I only wear bowling shoes. And one of these days, I'm going to be in the PBA. Uh, and so <laughs> I want to uh, end this whole thing with a poem from uh, Albert DeSalvo himself, oh. lamenting. Sometimes it's not so easy mm -mm. being a Boston strangler. It's not so easy being green and falling in love with Miss Piggy. It's not so easy strangling women and murdering and raping them. Here is the story of the strangler, yet untold. The man who claims he murdered 13 women, young and old. 
The elusive strangler, there he goes. Where his wanderlust sends him, no one knows. He struck within the light of day, leaving not one clue astray. The young and old, their lips are sealed, their secret of death never revealed. Even though he is sick in mind, he's much too clever for the police to find. To reveal his secret will bring him fame, but burden his family with unwanted shame. Today he sits in a prison cell, deep inside, only a secret he can tell. People everywhere are still in doubt. Is the strangler in prison or roaming about? <laughs> Standing he really, ovation. He really wrote that poem. <laughs> <laughs> Very good for DeSalvo, I will say. I mean, Remember, it's completely stupid. All but. of this. That just look back, think about your favorite moments in this episode, and remember that it's all real. It's all true. It all it's happened. Unbelievable. It's all true. So There's, we've had two psychics, four suspects. I mean, it really, this this story runs the gamut. Th- this is one of my favorite stories that, I, that I've ever. I, I thought this was a, a fantastic story. This is so much fun. Yeah, and we got bo- to the bottom of it with our sleuthing skills, Marcus. Mm, we got That's to correct. the bottomly of it. Oh. <laughs> Commission. It's perfect. No, everything's been solved. I mean. Literally, there's more questions now than ever. Um, but uh, nonetheless, yeah, last podcast on the left got to the bottom of another caper. And uh, yeah, we're a real Scooby-Doo bunch. The best solutions only provide more questions. That's well, when they're the wrong solutions. Is that solutions. another Kurt Vonnegut quote? Yeah. Chartra said that. <laughs> I love Chartra. Uh, man, thank you guys so much for listening. Not, not Sartre, but Chartra. 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 It's the guy who could, um, he could fart the alphabet. Oh, I love that. And then, yeah, it all kind of... Yeah goes there on but the But he wall. can only do it when he was covered in shit. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he can make a great B. Um, with poop. Poop B. Uh, hail poop Satan. Mm, and how gay. Um, if you did well this week or someone right for you, just know for a fact that Satan did it. Mm. You didn't do it. No, you mm. did it. You built it. Through you, him, with no, him. No, you did it. <sighs> Go your- to cavecomedyradio.com slash last podcast on the left for your last podcast on the left t-shirt. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Henry Loves You, at Marcus Parks, and at Ben Kissel. Uh, and be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, we're coming to the United Kingdom we're so- on <laughs> March 23rd. It's almost there, man. We're almost fucking there. It's almost time. Get your tickets now. Please That's come right. and hang out with us and fucking get drunk with us and show us where You're it's going to go. You're I just sad. want, I'm excited to meet our, okay. our, our friends out there. It's yeah. gonna, it will be an unbelievably great time. And I yeah. promise you, we're actually better than we are in real. In real life we're better than we are on the show that's so it's weird. not going to be disappointing that's weird. That's, that's, it's weird that's, it's a hard sell that see that's kind I, of I, dis- I mean that's sort of disappointing in its own way <sighs> well what 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 I'm saying is this. Ben was uh, four th- hours late today <laughs> I was not four hours late I was one hour late you were two hours late uh, one and a half hours late <laughs> You know, hail Satan, hail me, please, and the goes to Yeah, yeah, and keep on supporting all the shows here on CCR. It is really not that weird to wear shoes in the shower. <laughs> yeah, hail yourselves. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to CaveComedyRadio.com. And one last tiny little thing. We've got an official Twitter now, at LP on the left. Uh, We're going to be posting tons of bonus material on there. You'll get previews for upcoming episodes. You'll get to see some of the research that me and Henry and Ben do every week. Uh, You'll be getting some spooky, crazy music that I listen to while I research. Uh, You'll be getting some videos uh, that we show uh, when we do the live shows, the fourth Saturday of every month here at the Creek in the Cave, Uh, and a bunch of other just weird shit, whatever we find. Uh, So go and follow us at LP on the left where you find all of your bonus last podcast material.
Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.